This is Remy, and you're listening to I Heart Mules. Hi guys, so I have a few different topics we're going to go over today. Um, We're going to talk about desensitization, we're going to talk about bits, we're going to talk about mentors and abusers, and then we're going to talk about abuse in disguise. So I wanted to first start off by desensitization. So when a horse you are training, um, you need to keep in consideration a horse's you know, horse, how a horse acts, you know, the natural instincts for horses, where their point of view is, how their eyesight is, because it's really, really easy for us to get caught up with, you know, oh, well, I see this. I know that this is this. I know that the halter is just going to go on the horse's head. I know that the bit is not going to hurt the horse. I know that, you know, me riding the horse, like the horse is not going to care after a while. I know that, but does the horse know that? No. And that's what you really have to think about. Um, and then you also have to think about uh, their instincts. So what I mean by instincts is a horse instinctually thinks that when we hop on their back is the equivalent to a cougar up in a tree, you know, jumping down and, you know, tightening around their belly and trying to kill the horse. Horses are prey animal, and that's something that a lot, a lot, a lot of people don't know. Up until a few years ago, I thought that they were predators too, which doesn't really make sense because they are herbivores, but they very well are prey, and we need to treat them as such because I think a lot of times we expect horses to be these big, badass, beautiful animals when in reality, you know, they're pretty sensitive. Um... So when I'm saying desensitization, I think that personally, this is just an opinion, but I think personally too much desensitization is pretty cruel. Um, When you think about it, I was at the park, uh, let's say about a month ago, and I had my dog off-leash. It's an off-leash park. I was training my dog. I'm a service dog handler. And these, these four people come up on horses, and they decide to um, lope through the field that I'm training my dog in. So I recall my dog, um, now mind you, he's been around my donkeys before, but these were big ass quarter horses. So there's, you know, a big difference. I don't blame him. I try to recall him, try to recall him. He didn't know what to do because he'd never seen these, you know, huge animals before. And the lady takes her horse and runs at my dog with the horse. So I freak out, and I'm like, are you serious? And she was like, oh, haha, you don't even know how many uh, dogs I've had to run off today. I said, you didn't have to run off my dog. I was going to go grab my dog. Like, simple as that. I I don't understand. But basically what she was doing by, you know, desensitizing her horse to dogs, if a dog were to run up to her horse and start biting at the horse's ankles and start attacking her horse, which very well could have happened, there was another dog that was off-leash that was being very, very aggressive towards the horses. Thank God the guy got the um, the leash on the dog. But when you think about it, if a dog were to come up to your horse and you know, bite at your horse and injure your horse severely, well then your horse, you know, yeah, your horse would react, but the horse wouldn't react quick enough. A horse's natural instinct would be, okay, let's run. Let's get out of here. I am a prey animal. A predator is coming at me. I need to go. But when you train your horse to stand there 
and accept the fact that there is a predator um, being aggressive towards your horse, you run the risk of your horse getting injured. And especially when you're out in a public area like that, you know, what if her horse got injured? She would have to walk five miles home. You know, like you understand where I'm coming from. And then you have stuff like cars and big horns and whatever. Yeah, sure, that's fine if they were a carriage horse, if they were this, that, and whatever. They're supposed to be in traffic. That's what they're built for. That's what, you know, their purpose in life is. But, you know, with a horse that you just do trail rides with, okay, well, what if they see a car coming? The car is honking and, you know, blowing its horn, and then your horse gets ran over. Then what? Because the horse didn't want to, because the horse is desensitized to not care about cars and horns. Like, you see where I'm coming from? So you really, really have to keep into consideration when you are training. You have to think, what is my horse doing? Is my, what is my horse's discipline going to be? And you need to stick with that discipline. If your horse is doing cutting, then you need to get them desensitized to cows and the way cows are going to act towards a horse. If your horse is doing reining, you need to get your horse used to being able to put their foot down and twisting and turning and stopping. And then if you're going to do trick riding, you need to get your horse used to, I don't I don't care what's hanging off of me, I'm going to keep running, etc., etc. So it really needs to be specifically catered your training needs to be specifically catered towards your discipline. You can't do everything. That's just true. A horse cannot be a carriage horse, a trick riding horse, a barrel horse, and a cutting horse. That's just not going to work. You know, they can't do jumping, dressage, trick riding, and um, what? Trail riding. Like, like it's just for a horse to keep their instincts and to have, you know, proper mindset and to, you know, continue to live for a very long time, you need to keep into consideration what your horse needs. So that's just my opinion on desensitization. Do I think that with horses that are being, you know, trained to be around kids who need to be bomb-proof? Yes, totally desensitize the shit out of that horse. I would much rather a horse, you know, be slightly injured by a dog or a coyote or this or that than to have, you know, multiple children get hurt on a horse that's supposed to be bomb-proof, right? Right. Um, but then again, that's the horse's discipline. They're supposed to be for kids, and then so they need to be desensitized to have kids be able to hang off of them and, you know, touch them and poke them and do whatever, right? Right. And then we go on to bits. For the topic of bits, um, a horse's oral cavity is very, very sensitive, and you have to think, okay, the three big questions. Does my horse's bit fit? Is it the right bit for my horse? And would my horse prefer bitless? I personally ride a horse right now who, in the past, had he was a prison horse, and he is not well-bred at all. Um... He was a prison horse in the past, and basically what happened was these people really, really did not give a shit. Like I said, you know, he's not well-bred. That goes to show a lot. And they shoved the bit in his mouth. It was, you know, um, clinking on his teeth. He doesn't like it, and now he refuses to take the bit. Um, he just does not want to take the bit. I have to get assistance every time I go to ride him, and that's because of the two, you know, he would he would have much rather preferred bitless because he doesn't like it on his teeth and he would have much rather preferred a bit that fit him because it was clinking on his teeth um 
Yeah. So first off, let's just say Tom Thumb bits are awful. Uh, I want to get that out of the way. I don't care who you are, what you do, where you are. Tom Thumb bits give minimal, minimal control. And they also train you to have way harder hands. So when you have hard hands on a horse's mouth, like, you know, one, that hurts the horse. And two, you you just you bought a bit that has minimal control like it can very very easily be fixed and i've seen a lot of people ruin horses when using um tom thumb bits and a lot of times they are built to hurt the horse to give more control they either have absolutely no control at all or a ridiculous amount of control and put sores and lacerations in the horse's oral cavity so and then we go into bits in general um so then you have to go into the third one the third big question does my horse prefer a bit or bitless i would personally try one well one like i said going back to you know catering your training to your discipline does my discipline require bits most jumping arenas and dressage etc etc they require bits so you have to think, okay, well, do I need to just really, really make sure that my horse loves the bit or do I need to not do that discipline and give them something that they are happier, more comfortable in, right? So you kind of have to make sacrifices for your horse. I know it sucks sometimes, but you know, there's always going to be another horse out there that you can work with. Um, so first off, molasses, sugar, honey, all that fun stuff, put it in the horse's mouth, um... And then coat it on the bit and make the horse take the bit like that. They'll take it like a tree. They'll get used to it. They'll like it. And it'll just be a really, really good positive experience for your horse. That's personally how I've always trained to take the bit. But some people have other methods. Whatever you want to do, you go ahead and do. I know some people take um, grain in their hand and feed the horse like that um, with the bit in the hand too. But just feed it, feed the horse the grain. Um you know, whatever, whatever else, but that's personally how I do it. That's how it's worked best for me. And then you put Hackamore on the horse and you figure out, does the horse respond better to, you know, bitless? Personally, I use Hackamore. I like their, you know, line. I like how it fits. Do I like the mechanical Hackamores? No, those are awful. Um, they put so much, so much pressure on the horse's nose and that's just not what you want, but the regular old Hackamore works fine. Um, yeah, and so you figure out which one your horse likes better. I think that it's really, really important that you listen to your horse, too, because then you have a situation where in the year they start refusing the bit because they're like, no, I don't like it. I don't want to have it in my mouth. And then you have behavioral issues. You have bucking. You have flipping over on you, et cetera, et cetera. Horses will do a lot to get away from something they don't like, and you really have to make sure that that's something that they're going to like. Also, um, let's go into the anatomy of a horse's bit, where it sits, and how that can be dangerous. So in a horse's anatomy, um, I'm sure you've been taught in, you know, human, uh, human anatomy that when we breathe and then when we swallow food, it goes, to, it goes through the same hole but into two different pipes. So you have one pipe that's going towards your lungs for your air, and then you have another pipe that's going to your belly. Um, and your esophagus for food. So what happens when a horse is taking the bit, you see horses chewing on the bit a lot, which is a good sign. It means that they like the bit in their mouth, they're comfortable with it, and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing with the bit. But 
you have to think, for instance, with racehorses. Say I put a bit in a racehorse's mouth, and then they're running, and they're running, and they're running with this bit in their mouth, but they're also trying to breathe. So if a horse is taking the bit like it's a treat, like it's food, and chewing on it, then they're trying to eat while they're trying to breathe. So that makes the little latch, it makes it way less reliable and pretty unstable. Then you have the risk of your horse choking, which horse choking, it's really bad because horses can't really throw up. It's really, really hard for them to gag stuff up like we do. That's a normal reflex we have. We've been evolved to do that. But horses, sadly, really, really can. It's really, really common for horses to die Um because they've choked and you have to make sure like is that is that a risk I'm willing to take you know what I mean like if my horse chews on the bit and they're taking it like food while they're running they're trying to eat so they're breathing and eating they're they are responding to breathing and eating at the same time so then that latch is super unstable and you run the risk of your horse choking. That's just true. That's just facts. That's how it is. Now, there are not a lot of studies done on bits. There was actually one recently done, I think, in, I want to say in the UK, uh, but it's somewhere over there uh, near Asia. But basically what they did was they ran, um, I think, I, I really don't know, but they ran a few horses in bits and then they ran a few horses without bits they didn't say what bits they used or what bit list they used but they showed that a lot of the horses had sores and cuts and bruising in their mouth which when you think about it if you are not checking your horse's mouth after each and every ride then you run the risk of your horse starting to hate the bit and developing behavioral issues if your horse's mouth is bruised or something and you continue to put a chunk of metal where that um where that, you know, sore or whatnot is. And so, you know, you, you just, you have to take into consideration what you're doing when you're putting a horse in, a, you know, a bit in a horse's mouth. Um, do I think that bits are bad? No, I ride in bits. I like bits. Um, do I think that hackamores and, you know, bitless is bad? No, not at all. I really, really do love bitless. But you just have to make sure that you're doing what is right for your horse. You also have to think about the fact that, what kind of pressure do you want on your horse? So when you're desensitizing a horse and you, let's say that you train them in a bit, they most likely will never listen to a, you know, bitless unless they, you know, take a couple months or a couple years to train them to respond to bitless. Because when you think about it, they only respond to pressure and, you know, pounds of your hands, whatever, whatever. When they have a bit in their mouth, so when it's all in their nose, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to do whatever I want because uh, I don't have a bit. There's still a rider on me, but I don't have a bit, so I'm not going to listen to what the rider is telling me for the pure fact of I don't have a bit in my mouth. So, yeah, you have to think long-term about that. Um, it's really not that big a deal. You just make sure that you know what you're doing. You know what kind of bit you're putting in your horse's mouth. I think definitely do a lot of research on the kind of bit you're using and... Um, Go online, look at reviews, see if any horses have been injured by it, see if you're, if that bit has led or, you know, caused any big injuries. 
um, any deaths, any et cetera, et cetera, whatnot, whatnot. But yeah, in conclusion, bitless and bit is fine. Uh, just don't use Tom Thumb. <laughs> Next, we have something called um, mentors and abusers. So by mentors and abusers, I mean when you are finding a mentor, make sure they are not an abuser. And when you are finding abusers, make sure that they aren't going to be a mentor. So what I mean by this is, for instance, a good mentor would be... um, What's her face? Uh... Martha Josie. Martha Josie would be a really, really good mentor. She has, you know, she was around when barrel racing wasn't even invented yet. A very, very smart, intelligent lady. She's put her whole life into training the next generation to barrel race. She's an amazing mentor. And there are no allegations whatsoever of her abusing her horses. You see her runs are beautiful. No starfishing. Um, all her horses are very well kept. She runs a big good business. Very sweet lady, etc., etc. That is a mentor. Um, a, you know, an example of an abuser would be Fallon Taylor. Um, she's had multiple, multiple allegations that she has been abusing her horses. She starfishes, what, which I've already made a video on how that hurts the horse and the rider and how, you know, painful and just, you know, awful that can be on a horse and on a rider. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's the ripping off clothing brands, it's et cetera, et cetera. So you want to make sure that you you are looking up to the right people, especially in, and you know, especially when you are present online and you are, you know, taking advice from those people and, you know, you really want to make sure that that's the kind of person you want to be looking up to. Um, for instance, I like Riley and Link. Is she a mentor to me? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think she should really be a mentor to anybody, um, but is she an abuser? Hell no. Uh, she just kind of, you know, sits right there in the middle. Um, she speaks her mind. She's very loud about what she does. I love that. She's, you know, she says what she wants. Um, personally, do I think she should be a mentor? No, because she said multiple times that a helmet won't save your life. Um, the other day, a woman fell off of the horse that I ride and that helmet saved her life. So I do not think that's okay. Um, she said, you know, pretty, um, she's being pretty unforgiving a lot of times, like with what she says. Um, so do I think that she's fit to be a mentor? No, but is she an abuser? No, I love what she does. I love her brand. I like her ideas. Some things I don't agree with. For instance, I think that bits are fine as long as you find the right bit for your horse. Um, she prefers bitless. That is fine. Um, she doesn't like a lot of Western disciplines. I prefer Western. That is fine. Um, so yeah, you have to think about like who you are taking training advice from, who you're taking life advice from, et cetera, et cetera. Another good example would be Clinton Anderson. He floods horses. He does not know the difference between a fear horse and a stubborn horse, which I will get into that in a minute. Um, he prefers to flood horses, which is basically when you lunge horses out until they're sweating and exhausted and they're just very submissive and they're going to do whatever the hell you want them to do because they just gave up because they're so tired. Um, yeah, lunging a horse out for 45 minutes and then getting them to do something 
is 100% abuse, 100% should not happen, and again, is 100% not okay. It is abusive. You know, that'd be the same thing as beating a dog until they listen to what you want. You know, sit down, and when they don't sit, beat the shit out of them, and then say sit down again, and then they'll sit. Same, same, same principle. I don't know why people think that there's a difference between dogs and horses. I really have no clue. But if it's abusive to a dog, it's abusive to a horse. I don't know why people think horses are these big, badass, hardy animals that know how to fight back. It's ridiculous. Going, you know, going back to horses are prey animals, which I actually didn't know until I was, you know, a few years into horses. I thought that they were predators. But, yeah, you have to think about that. Also, um, he's very unintelligent. He really, really is. He does not know the difference between a fear horse and a stubborn horse. So, for instance, let's take when he puts horses in trailers. He prefers flooding a horse and then beating them until they go into a trailer or dragging them in the trailer or backing them up into the trailer. Whatever he can do to get that horse to go in the trailer and then he'll call it training. Now, mind you, for a stubborn horse, lunging them out a little bit, making them work, and then putting them in the trailer, sure, that's fine. So, how you would work with a stubborn horse that doesn't want to go into the trailer just because they don't want to go in and they're just being an asshole, um, which actually a lot of horses do that. A lot of horses, you know, fake injuries and just are like, meh, I don't want to do it, so I'm going to throw a shoe or something. A lot of horses are like that, but... Basically, what you would do is you would lunge the horse out, and then you would make it seem like, well, you know, when you're outside the trailer, you have to work, and you're going to be put to work, Um, but when you're inside the trailer, you can just chill, hang out, have a snack or two, you know, make it seem really, really nice inside the trailer, and then, okay, well, you're going to lunge when you're not going in the trailer. Personally, I think that's fine, um, because the horse is stubborn. That's what they want. They want to be outside of the trailer. So you just make it, you know, very well known that when you're outside the trailer, you're going to get worked out. You know, it's not fun being outside the trailer, so go ahead and get in that trailer. Um, now mind you, this is for stubborn horses. This is for horses that they know how to load into a trailer. They're fine loading into a trailer. Just sometimes they just don't want to because they don't want to. But for a fear horse, which is terrified of the trailer because a horse is a prey animal and they are naturally claustrophobic, so they are naturally going to be terrified of going in a tart, in in a tight, small, dark space, right? So that is what a trailer is, and a horse will most definitely be terrified of the trailer, especially when they've had bad experiences with experiences with it in the past so lunging them out and making it seem awful outside of the trailer is not at all what you need to do because they will never go in that trailer choicefully when you flood them yeah they'll go in because they're so tired and so desperate to just you know make the work stop they fall over they get in the trailer they just do whatever they want they come they become completely submissive And that's what he does. He does not know the difference between a fear horse and a stubborn horse. So he's flooding and lunging out. Well, no, I didn't say flooding. You should not flood a stubborn horse. No horse should ever be flooded. But he's lunging out and making it seem awful outside of the trailer to fear horses when that horse just needs to know it's okay to be around the trailer. So what you would do with a fear horse would you would 
you would feed them, you would put their feed bucket by, under, or, you know, near the trailer, you would walk them by the trailer a lot, you would make sure that the trailer is open, when you're walking from the barn to the arena, walk them near the trailer, just make it seem super, super nonchalant and chill, you know, the trailer is not some, some big, crazy, scary object, and then you slowly introduce them to the trailer. Um, personally, I, I actually use the technique that Raleigh and Link did where she walked her horse, um, up to the trailer and then turned away from it and then just did like little circles by the trailer. And then after her horse got super, super, um, comfy with it and then got kind of stubborn, she would turn him in a tight circle when he didn't want to go in and then he would load in. So it was, you know, super chill, really nice way. She would walk him in through one, in through the back and out through the side, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, you, you have to make sure that you are, you have to make sure that your mentor, your mentor, your mentor is not an abuser and the person you are looking up to does not have any bad records. And also, um, there's a lot of allegations in this world that's just going to happen. Really, really nice people are going to be accused of this, that, and the other. So you have to make sure that you do your research, you figure it out for yourself. Um, for instance, I don't think Taylor's all... I don't think Fallon Taylor's awful. I don't think she's, you know, a horrible person. You know, this bitch that's just out for money. I don't think she is. But do I think that she has the 100% the best intentions all the time? Do I think that she's the best rider out there? No, not at all. That's just kind of how I am. That's where I stand with things. But, yeah. Then last but not least, you have abuse in disguise. So, abuse in disguise is literally what I was just talking about. Um, this is the last topic for today, but abuse in disguise is basically a great, great example would be our dear friend Clinton Anderson. Um, he claims that flooding horses and beating horses and basically abusing them into submission is training, which a lot of the times they'll They'll, you know, romanticize beating horses and flooding them and starving them and then putting food where they want the horse to go or, you know, kicking the horse, punching the horse, etc. Cetera, et cetera. They will romanticize all that and be like, oh my god, but look at how nice he is now. It's okay to beat your horse. It's okay to flood your horse because look at what you got out of it. But in reality, the next day when that horse has, you know, gotten off of stall rest and that horse is all fired up and, you know, energized up and ready to go, that horse will be at square minus a thousand. That horse will be so far away from you that horse will be back at square minus 1,000 so quick you can't even blink before seeing it. I'm telling you, that horse is going to be 100% dominant, scared, pissed off. And my problem is like, he's selling this as, oh, look at this cool thing. But what you don't know is, yeah, that horse is tired now. That horse is burnt out now. That horse is so done and just submissive and going to do whatever you want now. But tomorrow, you're going to have to do that all over again because the horse is not going to do shit unless you beat it and flood it and do whatever else you want to do with it to make it submissive. Like, that's just that's just a fact. A horse will not listen to you when you beat it, when you, you know... 
say all this crazy shit, like, when you're cussing at your horse and beating your horse and doing that and that, yeah, okay, on, you know, on the spot, on the day, that horse might be like, oh, okay, you know, let me calm my ass down, let me be submissive and just do whatever I can to get out of work because I'm miserable and I'm tired and I'm sweaty. Yeah, I'll go into a trailer, I'll let you put a saddle on me, I'll let you ride me, whatever, just stop beating me, just please stop lunging me. That's how a horse is. But the next day, when that horse is, you know, energized up and ready to go, the same exact thing will happen. And it'll take about five months of doing that until the horse will go into permit submission and just let you do whatever you want to it. I'm being completely real. That's just how it is. And that is abuse in disguise. When you roman- when you romanticize abuse and when you say that that's okay and when you say that that's the proper way to train a horse and, oh, look at how nice he is today because you just flooded him, that's abuse in disguise. Um, Clinton Anderson does probably the best job of it I've ever seen. That means get shut down permanently. Um, do some of his methods work? Yes, maybe one or two of them. Okay, very, but, but those are ones that, um, but that's stuff then when he's mounted. Most, most of the things that, um, in quotations work, um, are when they're mounted, but his whole training and breaking a horse and his starting a horse methods are absolutely the most awful thing I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm telling you. Yeah, but that about wraps it up for today. And we went over a few um, cool things, you know, bits, animal cruelty, abuse in disguise, mentors, abusers, whatever, whatever. Um, in conclusion, you know, make sure you have the right bit for your horse. Make sure who you're looking up to isn't abusive. And, you know, make sure you, you know what you're doing and you do your research. And that's basically the topic for today. Do your research. Figure it out for yourself. Quit listening to other people. And, yeah, I will be back tomorrow.